waiting. 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 I don't know anybody, and I've talked to several people this week regarding this waiting. And I don't know anybody that has come to me and said, you know, I got to tell you, all that stuff you were talking about related to waiting, I love to wait. I absolutely love to wait. When Amazon says my package is going to be here on Tuesday, and then I get the update and they said, oops, sorry, some supply chain thing, it's actually going to be on Thursday, I look forward to that. Two days more to wait. Not how it is, is it? Not how it is. Somebody calls you and they say, I'm going to be there in five minutes, they show up in ten, you're angry. I know that happens sometimes with me because sometimes I will say, I'll be there in an hour and I get a phone call or I get interrupted or whatever. There's always a reason, right? There's always a reason. And it's a good reason normally. But you get that interruption, you're not there. Sometimes people get angry about having to wait. Um, I was, I was uh, out yesterday with the guys and since there was just about five of us, we decided not to do pizza yesterday. And we decided to go to a local fast food chain that was right by the church building. And we went inside because it was the only one in the area that would let us go inside. And so we went inside and we were standing there. And there were people sitting. And then there were people out in the parking lot. And they were all waiting on their food. One person, I heard them say, I've been waiting almost a half hour for my hamburger, fries, and Coke. And so we're standing there and we are waiting patiently as godly men who are, are, are firm in their faith. We're waiting for our order to be taken only to find out when the manager comes around and says to the employee, don't take any more orders. We have to get these out first. Why should you be taking orders for these people and these people having to wait? So we promptly exited the building and went to another place. But waiting is just not something that we, we desire. And yet we read last week, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Seems like a positive to me. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So last week we talked about this, this posture of the mind and the body and the heart and the spirit and, and how this posture has the ability and, and more than that, actually a, a guarantee to leave a person energized in some way, kind of flying high, right, uh, full of strength and vitality. This posture gives one the ability to overcome weariness. Now, how many of you in the last few weeks have found yourself a little weary and you would long for the opportunity to overcome that weariness? It seems to be kind of tied to the illness and all the things that are going around that people are just very tired. And I have talked to several that have said, man, if I could just have one day to gain back all of my strength, how great that would be. But this posture actually gives the ability to overcome weariness and and even the capability to avoid stumbling 
And it's such a simple posture, waiting. We do it all the time, and yet this is really different. First, because as we said last week, the the one who we're waiting for, the one whose glory will be revealed for all to see, who breathes, and not only the grass withers, but people whose word stands forever, who rules with might, but remains a shepherd, who, who carries little ones and gently leads them, who, who needs none to direct him or counsel him, who needs none to give him understanding, to teach him to be just or to give him any knowledge, the one to whom none can compare, who reduces rulers to nothing, makes the judges of the earth meaningless, who created the stars and numbers them, calls them by name, doesn't misplace a single one, never loses anything. Nothing's ever hidden from his sight, and he never becomes tired. Waiting on the Lord is not like other waiting. So this this waiting is different, first because of who we're waiting for, but second because of what we are waiting for. When we are waiting on the Lord, we're not simply waiting on that package from Amazon to show up. We're, we're not simply waiting on our burgers from the fast food joint. We're, we're not simply waiting on that appointment to get our oil changed. We're, we're not waiting on an Uber to show up. We're, we're not waiting on some date to change on the calendar so we can do something that we had been hoping to do. If we're waiting on the Lord then we are waiting for the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God to bring into our lives exactly what He knows we need. That which will bring the greatest joy, the greatest contentment, the greatest satisfaction, We are waiting for the God who created a world so perfect, so complete, that it has everything that it needs to sustain every creature on it, lacking nothing forever. We're waiting on the one to bring into our lives all that's necessary for the continuation of the life that he desires for us and that he declares is good. A life that needs no intervention from any source other than him in order to continue. Now, we put into a category the one who we are waiting on. And as we put him into that category, we realize he is not like any other that we would wait on. And then when we say, what are we waiting for? We put into a category those things that are like nothing else that we would ever wait for. You're not going to get a package from Amazon that is going to make you so content that it will end your need for any other contentment. You're not going to wait on a meal so good that it is going to sustain you for the rest of your life and you need nothing else from it. Waiting on the Lord is not like waiting on anything or anyone else. So since we brought 
that what we are waiting for kind of into the picture, I want to ask you a question. What are the things you are waiting for from the Lord? What are the things that you are waiting for from the Lord? Are you waiting for the answer to a question? Are you waiting for the supply of something or maybe someone in your life? Are you waiting for a direction to be given so that you know exactly where you are supposed to go? Are you waiting for the close or maybe the end of an incredibly long season of life? Are you waiting for the truth of one of his many promises to be revealed to you? Are you waiting for what he has said or shown you, maybe in his word, to come to pass? Are you waiting for what is next in life? Are you waiting for how he is going to accomplish what he has shown you that is next in life? When you start thinking of it from that perspective and you start looking at it from waiting on the Lord, the the Almighty God, the one who has the ability to bring into your life the contentment, the joy, the satisfaction, the peace, right? All of a sudden, you, you, you have to stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, well, what am I? What am I waiting for? What, what am I waiting for for the Lord? Now, I will tell you that for some, this is an easy question to answer. Maybe because your life's on hold right now in this moment of time. You, you are in that place of, of not knowing what to do next, so you have turned to the Lord, right? Isn't that what we do? Everything's a mess, right? And then all of a sudden we say, Jesus, help me, right? That's kind of how we can have a tendency to do things sometimes. But, but maybe that's, that's why this question is easy, because you, you're at that place, you don't know what to do next, you've turned to the Lord, you're asking him for help, because you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know how it's going. So it's easy because you're, you're waiting now. Not necessarily because you want to. But because you feel like you have to. You've got no other recourse. For some, this may be an easy question to answer because you have become one of the mature people of the faith and, and you are like Moses, Moses in Exodus 33 when, when uh, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have, have not let me know who you will send with me. 
you, you've said, I have known you by your name, and I have found you and, and had favor in my sight. Now, now therefore, I ask you, Lord, if, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, then don't lead us up from here. Maybe you're one of those people. One of the people that say this, I will not take one step forward if God is not with me, right? It's kind of what Moses was saying. So, so maybe it's easy to answer because you're in that place of life where all of it is just so discombobulated. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't. So the easiest thing is to just stop and say, okay, I'm going I'm to just wait. And let the Lord direct me. Or maybe you're one on the other side. You're one of those really mature people. And you wouldn't do that anyway. Every decision you make. You you say, I'm not going to go one step farther until the Lord leads me. For some, however, the, the question may be a little bit more difficult to answer. Maybe because it's been a while since you've actually waited. Not just on the Lord but on anything. You, you set your mind to do something and you just, you do it. You, you consult no one. You, you chart your own course. You have great self-confidence. You have great self-reliance. For others, it may be a little bit more difficult to answer because you might not see the value in waiting. I've only got so much time on the planet. Why would I wait? Waiting is kind of a waste of time, really. I mean, you know, I got 24 hours in the day, and if I spend an hour waiting, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm wasting time. You do what you do. You face the consequences you face as a result, and you move on. So there's people that are all over the place in this, right? Those that it's easy to to maybe wait, and then those that maybe it's not quite as easy to wait. And I don't know that I can really convince anyone who does not want to wait to wait. Have you ever tried to do that with a little kid? I mean, you parent, I, I saw smiles immediately because you knew where I was going, right? You ever try to make a little kid wait for something? Like, <clears throat> like you say, I'm going to get you a juice box, that juice box better be there really quickly. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to get you a sucker. You did really good, so now you can have a sucker. That, that is not a waiting proposition. You cannot make that child wait. I mean, it's not like that thing you see on some of the videos where they put the cracker on the dog's nose and the dog just sits there like that. That's not a two- or three-year-old kid. They're not going to sit there knowing that there's a sucker hanging in the balance and just sit patiently and just wait and wait and wait. So I don't know. I, I don't know that you can really convince someone who does not see a value in waiting or does not want to wait. But what I can tell you is that for those who will wait on the Lord and those who will wait for those things from the Lord that are of great value, 
there is a life that exists that is so much more complete. It is, it is so much more fulfilled. It is so much more certain. It is so much less anxious. It is so much less filled with worry. It is so much more confident. Life that's focused on him. Listen to the words of this psalm. I'm sure that in some way you've heard this before. It's Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And listen to the imagery here. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. So the imagery here, creation just in its its existence speaks, right? In in the Psalms it talks about how waterfalls, you can sit at a waterfall and and the deep of that water rushing over that fall and falling down into the, the bottom and splashing all around and all of those things. There's something deep about that that calls to you actually. It's almost like you can hear creation speaking out the glory of God. And it reveals things too. You sit by something amazing, a mountain, a a stream, a river, an ocean. You watch a blizzard or a snowstorm or icicles hanging. and, And there is something that is revealed in all of that creation. There is something that is declaring the glory of who God is. Yet, verse 3 says, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. This is kind of a contradiction, it seems. But what it's really doing is it's emphasizing that when when the heavens give expression to the majesty and the glory of God, it's not by words. Trees don't talk, and if they do talk to you, you probably need to see someone. But there's there's not actual words that exist. It's it's not in the, the language of creation like it is in the language of mankind. It is in the silent but powerful testimony that creation itself offers in the display and the power and the glory of its creator. So the psalmist is saying, look, speech pours out of this. I can can almost hear the words of of these trees and these mountains declaring the glory of God. And yet, there's, there's no words like mankind has words. The point of that is that no one, no matter what their language is, no matter what their culture is, no matter what part of the world they come from, no one can escape the declaration of the glory of God who lives on this planet. So the author chooses to focus on, on the perfection of God in the next part of the verse and, 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 and through him, uh, it, it, it takes place to, to focus attention on him. Listen to what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. 
And there is something that perfect law of God does. It restores the soul. The testimony. So you'll see that, that all of these are, are the, the recounting of, of how God's, God's laws and his testimony and his speech and the things that he says and all that is, is being recounted. The testimony of the Lord is sure, certain. So what does it do? It makes wise. The simple. The precepts. The one after the other after the other of the Lord are right. And, and what do they do? They bring about a heart that can rejoice. The commandment, the statutes of the Lord are pure. There's no, there's no spots in it. There's no flecks of dirt. The eyes are brightened, enlightened by it. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Again, when you look at that terminology there, it's a little weird. The fear of the Lord is clean. The idea is there's no imperfections in the fear. There's, there's imperfections in the fear that we have of a lot of things, right? There's no f- imperfection in the, the fear of the Lord. The judgments of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Though the great value of God and who He is and what He has said and what He has declared is spelled out in the desire that one might have for gold or one might have to taste honey. There's an even greater value to be understood. Verse 11 says that by them, by all of these things, these statutes, these precepts, these laws, these commands, by all of these things, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So there's a warning here, and there's also a reward here. And they're made clear in the next verse. When the author says, so who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults, and also keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. The glory of God revealed in a world that speaks when it doesn't say a word. The glory of God revealed by the things that he has spoken to mankind that they can hear and know and understand and what it does for mankind when it takes place. And now there is a warning in these things and there is also a reward. The warning is that there is a restraint in what God says and what God gives. There is a restraint in that for sin. But there's also a reward in that, and the reward is that there's an ability to be set free from sin's mastery. The the translation here uses the word presumptuous sins, and that's probably a little bit odd to hear, presumptuous. Well, he's pretty presumptuous, right? That kind of thing. What does it mean? The idea here of presumptuous sin is 
a focus on sin that flows out of self-confidence. Sin that flows out of self-reliance. Maybe pride is the overarching thing here. But, but the idea of presumptuous sin, I've heard it referred to like this, that you do things that presume on the grace of God. That could be one way to put it. But there's a nuance in, in this terminology here that, that these sins, they do find their root in pride, but, but they don't always present openly as sin, like if you walk up to someone with a gun and you shoot them and murder them, that's, that's pretty wide open, right? If you, if you go up to a cash register and you demand all the money and you put it in your pocket and you walk out the door, or you see yourself going out of Walmart carrying a television. I mean, those are obvious. Those are the sins that, that you can see. Those are the things. But these are more nuanced than that. They're not quite as flagrant. They're, they're not quite as obvious. They're not even that easy to detect sometimes because they stem from two things. One, a person's inability to distrust themselves enough. Hear me? It stems from the inability that a person has to distrust themselves enough. And the second thing It stems from the inability to trust God enough. And for me, as I've been looking at this issue of waiting on the Lord, that's where there's this subtle connection that gets made there for me to to this issue of waiting on the Lord. How often... Do I find myself in a place where I either cannot, I will not, or I simply do not wait on the Lord? Now, I want to make sure that we understand what we're waiting for again. So as I said earlier, the the waiting that I'm doing on the Lord is not an Amazon package, it's not a burger, it's not... It's to bring into my life exactly what he knows I need, that which will bring the greatest joy, contentment, satisfaction, to bring into my life all that's necessary for the continuation of the life that he desires for me and that he declares is good, a life that needs no intervention from any other source other than him for that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we're not just even talking about waiting for anything. We're we're talking about waiting for that which is exactly what God wants. How often do I know what God has promised? Like Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, before their names got switched around for us to really be confused. How often do I know what God has promised and because I can't see it, I try to formulate my own plan? You know the story, right? Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Promise. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Promise. And you shall be a blessing. 
promise. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in all that you do in your families, they will be blessed on the earth. Promise. Scuttle down to Genesis 15 and you see Abram and he says, Oh Lord, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abraham said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house who is my heir, how is this going to be? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. And if you are able to count them, he said, This is how many your descendants will be. Now we know the story, right? Abram was a little bit old. Sarai was a little bit old. And so there was a real difficulty in waiting because, I mean, when you're getting out near 100 years old, um, you know, you're, you're kind of getting up there and your body's starting to ache and, you, you, you know, stuff's falling out and falling off and all of that stuff. You, you start wondering, I mean, I don't know how much I've got left, but I, I, I definitely don't have time to wait, right? So they didn't. They wouldn't. Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, had born to him no children, and she said to the Egyptian maid, whose name was Hagar, the, whole, the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child. So Abraham, go into my maid, perhaps I will attain children through her. And Abraham, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. What took place there? The very definition of what we just said regarding presumptuous sin. Think about it for a second. It flowed from self-confidence and self-reliance, stemming from the inability to distrust self enough, and also stemming from the inability to trust God enough. The interesting thing is that all of these presumptuous sins, all of these moments where we know that God has something for us to wait on him for, that is perfect, that is pleasing to him, that is good, that's exactly what we need for our lives, in these moments that these presumptuous sins become part of who we are and we refuse to wait, there's consequence. The result is not good. In Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. This is Hagar, right? Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. So if you fast forward and you look at all of the stuff that took place between Ishmael and Isaac and the promise and the blessing and all of those dynamics that went into it, the consequences for that presumptuous sin, that inability to distrust myself enough and the inability to trust God enough and to wait on him for what he promised leads to generations 
and generations and generations of people living in a never-ending battleground in a land that God told them was theirs. How often do I know what God has promised and yet I just won't wait? How often do I know what God has commanded like Saul and and because I'm impatient, I put my plan into action. You may remember the story. Samuel took a flask of oil, he poured it on Saul's head, and he kissed him, and he said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over all this inheritance. When you go from here today, you'll find two men, and he goes on to the whole thing, right? And then, but basically, it boils down to, and I'm rushing us through here, but it, it boils down to this, the, the end of this story being that Samuel tells him, look, you're going to go, and you're going to do this, but this is what you've got to do. There's going to need to be a burnt offering, and a sacrifice, a peace offering made. And you need to wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So Saul goes out. You get to chapter 13, the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people like the sands of the seashore in abundance. They came up and they camped near them. When the men of Israel saw them there, the people were hard-pressed. They were scared. The people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still at Gilgal, and the people followed him there, and they were all trembling. Now he waited the seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. There were two things that Saul was waiting on, seven days. And Samuel to get there. Right? That was the command. You wait seven days until I get here. As soon as he finished, Samuel shows up. And Saul went out to meet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me. And and that you did not come within the appointed days. And the Philistines were assembled. Boy, he had a lot of reasons, didn't he? To not, to not do what he was supposed to do. Therefore, now the, the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Presumptuous sin. Sin that flows from self-confidence, self-reliance, stemming from the inability to distrust self enough, stemming from the inability to trust God enough, to trust God completely. And the results, they're always no good. The scripture goes on, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not endure. 
The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So what were the consequences? What were the consequences? In, in, in the same way, Abram and Sarai had consequences. And those consequences wrecked a, a, a history of a people group. The consequences here for, for Saul's inability to wait. And what's interesting is most scholars believe that this seven days passed and, and that by that evening or whatever when the sacrifices were to be made that, that he was making these sacrifices and, and probably Samuel strolled into the camp shortly after that. I mean, it, it almost seems immediate in scripture. We don't have a timestamp on it, but... But the idea that it wasn't even that much of an additional weight. And what were the consequences? Turmoil for the people of God. And a bitter end to a bitter life for Saul. I want to remind you that there is a different course for those who will wait on the Lord. There is a different course for those who will wait on the Lord. Those who have questions without answers and will say to God, I will wait for you to answer. Those who have needs that lack supply and they say, I will wait for you to supply. Those who have direction that is sorely lacking, I will wait for you to give direction. Those who have endured a long and difficult season that seems to have no end, I will wait for you to bring that to an end. People that are waiting, holding on to promises, I will wait on you to fulfill your word. People that are waiting for something to come to pass that hasn't come to pass yet, but they know that God has said this is going to take place. I will wait on you. People who have no clue as to even what the next step in life would be, much less how that's going to be accomplished, they will say, I will wait on you. God, to bring into my life exactly what you know I need, to bring into my life that which will offer the greatest joy, the greatest contentment, the greatest satisfaction, to bring into my life that which is necessary for the continuation of this life to be what you desire it to be, to be what you declare is good, the kind of thing that needs no intervention from any other person or any other source other than you, God. Can I remind you that there is a different life to be lived by those who will wait on the Lord? Ross, come on back. I, I know it seems kind of counterintuitive for us who live in this impatient culture 
that waiting could actually be a good thing. That, that waiting can actually accomplish something better. But it's true. Because waiting begins, and again, can, can we stipulate that the point is we're waiting on the Lord, right? Not on Mike to call me later, or we're not waiting on a hamburger, we're waiting on the Lord and what he desires. Waiting begins with the understanding that God has a plan. Waiting stipulates that God has a path. Waiting stipulates that God has a desire that no one else has for you. It continues in a reality that that he desires for you to walk in that plan, for you to walk that path. And, And the timing of how that plays out in your life is exactly where he wants it to be. It won't be one moment sooner. It won't be one moment too late. It finishes with you being with me being exactly where he wants us. Doing exactly what he would have us do in the way that he would have us do it. So here's my question to you. Could it be that beginning this year of 2022, If you looked back at 2021, or maybe even 2020, if you want to go back that far, you had some opportunities that the Lord was giving you to wait on Him. And seven days was just too much. Right? Seven days was just too much. Or, or... I I don't know that in the shape that I'm in or with the resources I have or with the whatever it might be, I I just, I I don't see that happening. So I'm gonna gonna do it another way. Could it be that in our lives, we engage in presumptuous sin, subtle as it is, and miss out on the opportunity to see the very glory of God? Could it be that there are some areas right now that are struggles, difficulties, you're directionless, you don't know what decision to make, and what God desires for you to do is to wait on Him. To wait on Him. Could it be that the reason that we live our lives in this frenetic world, worn out, lacking direction, anxious. Could it be that it's because we've lived our life presuming that we know best instead of waiting on the Lord? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. But could it be that what the Lord is desiring in this moment of time in my life, in your life, in our 
collective life together, even as a body, is to wait on him and see what he might have in store. So what would the next step be? There's an old song, and I, Sean Poe was teasing me about it because I told him I was going to drag him out and have him sing it to us because I'm sure it's one that Ross has probably not heard in his lifetime. Um, but it's, it goes along with the verse that we have been looking at. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will, mount, they will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And the last verse, the last part of that, says this simply. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Is there a, is there a, a command? Is there a promise? Is there something that, that, that is out there? And you know because in this moment of time, the Lord is being very clear to you. You need to wait. You don't need to make this decision and presume. You don't need to do this. You need to wait. If, if the Lord is giving you that in this moment of time and it's very clear, I, I believe it's for a purpose. Because he's meaning for you to see his glory. He's meaning for you to see him do what no one else, nothing else can do. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Now, even as I say that, there are people in here going, well, that just gives everybody the opportunity to be apathetic, doesn't it, Pastor Dave? Just sit back and do a whole lot of nothing. Just put your feet up and God will bring in the money and God will bring in the food and he's going to feed you with a shovel. And No, we're going to talk about that in two weeks because there's some stuff that we can do and are supposed to do while we are waiting on the Lord. And it's good stuff. But it doesn't preempt us by self-reliance and self-determination making the decision on our own to do what we believe needs to be done in order to preempt what he desires. So is God calling you to wait? Or maybe he's been calling you to wait and you're getting a little antsy. Can I encourage you? There is an end for those who wait on the Lord. They're not anxious. They have new strength. They can run and they don't get tired. They, they, can, they can walk and, and they don't stumble. Why? Because he is sustaining them. Let's stand together and Ross, lead us out, will you? And we'll close our time in prayer.